welcome to The Self-Made Theory, the podcast that's all about innovating, overcoming and prospering. We interview founders, entrepreneurs, innovators, CEOs and other exciting people about their amazing business journey. Over to your host, Ben Campbell, for this week's episode. Hey listeners, it's Ben here, and welcome back to The Self-Made Theory. Now, many of you will have heard the terms big data, analytics, and all that very boring sounding terminology. But wait, don't tune out. If you've seen the movie Minority Report, where Tom Cruise is walking past digital signage, where the advertisements are tailored just for him, then you'll get a bit of an insight into what this episode is all about. And you can actually look at this episode in a few different ways, from the lens of a big brother-esque conspiracy theorist, or from the lens of how you can use big data to truly drive compelling competitive advantage and experiences for your customers. I interview Kelly from Expose Data, who's an expert in this space, at the new South Australian Lot 14 Innovation Entrepreneur Precinct, where they're the first tenant. We discuss about imagining a world where the retail store knows you're sad when you walk in and tailors your shopping experience to make you happy. How if you have good left and right brain thinking, then perhaps a career in data analytics is for you. We talk about how planning and structure is important when you're driving a company hard, but not at the expense of being able to think on your feet. And if what you're doing is easy, then it's a commodity. My name is Ben Campbell, and this is The Self-Made Theory. Kelly. Hi. Welcome to The Self-Made Theory. Thank you very much. So you're the general manager at Expose. I am. So tell us about Expose. What's your elevator pitch? Yeah, so Expose is a purely focused data analytics consulting firm. So if you think everything to do with data from when it's first born and created all the way through to how you turn it into actionable insights, we do that end-to-end for our customers. And it doesn't matter the industry, it doesn't matter how big the project is, how complex it is whether the data is internal to a business or whether it's external. In fact, we love the external bringing it in. Um, we'll do the, the, the entire solution. So imagine there's a few people listening going, well, that doesn't sound super exciting, data. That's, that's about <laughs> it is as, to us. That's about as boring as it gets. <laughs> I know it's not boring. Can you tell us why it's not boring and what the, what the insights are that you gather for customers? Yeah, sure. Look, I think it, it really depends on the... On the customer, if you think about um, retail, you know, how can you take how a person's feeling? And I'm going to probably talk a bit big brotherish here, okay. but how do you take how a person is feeling and then offer them products and services that are going to help them? And it might be to cheer them up. So if you imagine walking into a, a store and it takes a, a video of you when you come in. And it says, okay, Kelly's looking like she's not having such a great day today, but they know that I'm a member of that, of that shop. And so all of a sudden I'll get a text message on my, or an alert on my phone saying, Kelly, did you know chocolate's on sale today for a dollar, right? And we all know that chocolate picks you up when you're not having such a good day. Well, it does for me anyway. I can do chocolate when yeah, I'm happy, think, sad yeah, or exactly. anything else. Mm. At the moment I'm pregnant, so I do chocolate every hour of the day. Um, <laughs> But if you start thinking about how you really turn, yes, boring data, transactional data into something that can offer an insight that either helps someone 
right? And so we, we talk about things like cognitive services. So how do you use emotion and reaction to better what you offer to someone? Uh, if you think about, we did a, a piece of work with an aged care provider and they have a, a heap of refrigerators in all of their aged care facilities. And you might think that's, you know, it's a refrigerator. However, those fridges contain um, medication and special food. So they're very, very important, right? Um, South Australia has a few blackouts <laughs> that occur, especially in summertime. We do have a lot of interstate friends. We do have a bit of a reputation these days. Yeah, I, thought, yeah, we, yes, we, I we know that. Have, we haven't had one for a while. But. <laughs> no, we haven't. And apparently we're, we're not going to have that many this summer. We'll see. Um, however, you can imagine then that if there are blackouts across all of those aged care facilities, they don't know how long that refrigerator has been off for. So they needed to throw out all of the medication, all of the special food. For people in their care, that is, um, that, that's what has to be done because it's detrimental to health. They can't give them medication if it's, or food that's spoiled. So we came up with a solution where we put refrigerator temperature sensors into the fridges and we were able to alert the aged care facility manager and let him or her know if those refrigerators went below or above a temperature threshold. So it could even mean that someone's left the door open. But what that means is it saved them hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. But the most important thing is that we know that the health and well-being of those, I won't call them patients, the people that are in their care is all good. So where does the data come from so using the example of the retail which yes. does sound i think you use the term big brother, big brother does. but where does that data come from and how are you analyzing that i'm happy or sad yes uh, and then tracking that to potentially that i'm a member how does that how does it work yeah so there's a lots of um <laughs> there's lots of products out there that do it um, so if you think about there are services out there that will take that video and they can quite easily interpret a face and see what the emotion is with pretty accurate um, prediction, right? So you, you're talking anything about 85% or up is, is high prediction and high clarity. Um, so we would take that data as you walk into the store and you've got the app on your phone, it knows who you are. Sorry, I mean, with every single app, that's, that's what happens unless you turn it off. But if you sign up to a lot of things, it happens automatically. So all of a sudden, we've said Kelly's walked in. We can tell because she's got her phone on her and she's a member. So we can place Kelly to that image or that video of face. And therefore, we can then start to take the data emotion from the video and take the data of Kelly from her phone app and we do a predictive analytics, so if we do an algorithm that says if that emotion is equal to this, then these are the sorts of things that we would offer her. So as a retailer or yes. as somebody wanting to sell something, that actually sounds like pretty powerful data. It is. It is very, very powerful, especially if you think about uh, retail outlets that don't have a loyalty program, right? So they've sort of been late to adopt it it's really difficult to create a, a loyalty program that people are going to want to use when they've been using other loyalty programs for so long. So that takes a while to build the data up. Whereas this, it's a, it's a quick and easy way to build up a loyalty program without a heavy investment, if that makes sense. Mm. And so then you can, and some retailers can then offsell that data and commercialize it. It's all anonymous, the, the way that they commercialize it. But still, it means that there's other industries that can gain insight from that. So I'm thinking minority report. 
You know, Tom Cruise <laughs> walking down the street, having all this personalised advertising thrown at him because it recognises. And in this case, I think they were using uh, his uh, his eyes. I think yes, were, that's right. They were using the eyes. Uh, in effect, we're, it's really the same type of process, isn't it? Most definitely. If you think about the financial services of, if we talk about things like banking and loans and where that is headed in the future and certainly aspects that we've been looking in into on behalf of our customers, if Kelly Druitt is a customer of whatever bank, let's say NAB, and I walk into a car yard, it knows that I've walked into a car yard and all of a sudden NAB on my phone alerts me to say that I've got pre-approval for a a personal car loan of $10,000, for example. So that's the way that it is going to evolve because it has to, right? We need to be smarter and faster, especially with the, the millennials and those next generation. That's what they are going to want to expect. So I'm listening to this and thinking that sounds a little bit creepy for me, mm. but it's just the world, right? It's the way, the way things are going and it's very tailored to your experience as a person and what you are interested in that's exactly right so that whole mass market advertising once upon a time where we all sat in front of the tv and got the same ads whether it was relevant to us or not now we're having tailored experiences that relate just to me that's exactly right Hmm. um so you know customers as in customers of ours see it as a win-win situation because it is targeted marketing and advertising however for the consumer for their customer they are actually getting tailored customer service right which is incredibly important because that's what people say is I want to make I want it to feel like it's just meant for me whether it is or not I'm not commenting on that <laughs> you're just facilitating the process right exactly right exactly right so you didn't wake up yesterday and decide that you wanted to get into this type of business. Where no. did your journey start? Yes, so um, I've got an interesting uh, story. I'm a weird individual in that I am incredibly logical, So, um, which is probably why I went down the IT path, um, but I'm also quite creative and, and uh, yeah, I, I was meant to study at NIDA, actually, which is a bit weird, but I didn't think I was going to be the next Kylie Minogue on Neighbours. So I went down the the computer science path. Um, I think quite early on I've worked worked in Sydney uh, when I got into university because there was not a lot of jobs in in South Australia at the time in IT, um, especially for someone that was still studying. It saw me start with Fairfax Interactive, which was the online arm of Fairfax at the time. And uh, I worked there for a while and learnt a lot. And pretty much from the beginning, I knew that data for me was really, really exciting, the way that you could use it and, and offer insights. So progressed from there, went and worked, did quite a, quite a number of years at Yahoo in Sydney and then you know got, got a bit homesick and made my way back to South Australia. I, had a, I went and worked for SA Water, and I was at SA Water for seven years. And while I was there, I think that was a pivotal career change for me in that a CIO that started there met with every staff member on his, in his first couple of weeks, and he called me back into his office and said, I really don't think you cut out just to do a core technical role. And you've got this side of you that loves to, to chat, which you'll 
pick up very quickly because I can talk a lot, but that likes to listen and, and, and talk and understand. And so I sort of shifted my roles more from that into that sort of consulting analysis side of things, which then, yeah, pushed me into a professional services or consulting role um, for consulting firms. And so then we fast forward to where I am now, where, where we are as an organisation. We saw a need in the market for a purely focused data analytics firm in South Australia. There wasn't one at the time. So the 1st of July 2016, we were born. So what was happening in the rest of the market around Australia? Had other, were, there, were there other firms around Australia that were you know, in the market for a long time or is this a new industry? Yes and no. So there, certainly in Melbourne and Sydney, there are a couple of, of purely focused data analytics firms um, and they've been around for, you're looking at max four to five years. So it is relatively new, but the, the concept of um, business intelligence and data analytics consulting is, has really been there for a long time. It's just within a, like a capability within a bigger consulting firm. And uh, I just want to put a side note in that I need to stop using consulting because certainly in South Australia it's... Uh, frowned upon a bit so we're, we're trying to change our uh, the way that we market ourselves so uh, excuse me if I chop and change between consulting and professional services. Why has consulting got that reputation? Um, yeah the reason uh, the reason it has is you look at the the top four and look they're, they're great at what they do the issue in South Australia is it's uh, very expensive and time consuming and I think from a government perspective which we're a big government state is that they that's that stigma of if it's consulting it's going to cost us a lot of money and it's going to take a long time and we're not quite sure the return on investment is is there so I think within change of government they've sort of been saying look we need to look at the South Australian companies that are up and coming and need to stay away from the sort of consulting firms even though in our own right we are a consulting firm but clearly there's a difference, right? So clearly clients are seeing a difference in terms of the outcome that you're providing, perhaps the traditional firms don't provide or don't provide as well. What's the difference? What are you doing differently that clients are recognising? Yeah, I think that certainly one of the big differences is that we're local. So the people that work on an engagement are in South Australia, they know the South Australian market and what's needed. Every project they work on is in South Australia, so they know what's been happening and what is happening in the market. That in itself is so powerful, right? Because if I took one of my guys here in South Australia and I put them in Victoria, and sometimes we do do that, you know, they need to understand a completely new state and the way that it operates. And that's what sometimes happens with the big four, is that they get people from interstate right. and um, they don't understand our immediate market. Also, you know, we're not driven by technology. I'm not saying the big four are because they do a lot of strategy and, and roadmap work. However, you know, we understand the business problems thoroughly before we devise a solution. Most people, when they think about, you know, big data and data analytics, are thinking, sorry for the stereotype, nerdy mathematics neck beards what, what did you call them people with neck beards right yes neck beards yes <laughs> it's funny because it's true <laughs> 
So, so I think, you know, most people would think highly technical, yes. highly mathematical, highly introverted, you know, people who just love data and stuff. Yes. But what I'm hearing and what I've experienced is people who understand business, problems, environment, outcome, a whole different piece that comes with, you know, that you know, technical side. And that's why it's incredibly difficult for us to recruit and I'll just talk South Australia here, it's incredibly difficult for us to recruit in South Australia is because we look for people that have got the business acumen as well as the technology. However, I will always employ the business side because the technology you can learn. And so do you see your strength, you know, you talked about your creative side with your analytical side, those two are sort of the perfect combination? Most definitely. So we, um, our people at Expose are called purple people. And the notion behind that, I know it's, you know, sort of walking around looking like Barney. But, excuse me. I've seen them. They don't look like Barney. (laughs) No, they don't. (laughs) Uh, Not all of them anyway. But um, there's a notion out there where um, you've got the sort of creative mind that's, that's, sort of business focused still and then you've got that analytical mind and one's blue and one's red you combine them together and you get this pretty powerful person that understands the balance between the two and so hence why our brand's purple and hence why we we call each other purple people or the purple family so something small something a bit weird and wacky but i guess that's who we are as a as a firm as well so you talked about it's hard to recruit people yes. with those skills. I know you've done some stuff in high school. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think that's really exciting in I terms can. of bringing that next generation through. It's something that as a, as a team we're incredibly proud of, but something close to, to, to my heart as well. So I have a four-year-old uh, daughter who's going on 14 at the moment with attitude. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, for a very long time, and I've been involved in a lot of boards and and committees around how do we get more students studying STEM or IT and more importantly females as well right I don't think the percentages have changed that much since when I was at university in the past I've done quite a lot of work with mentoring university students but by the time they're there you know, we, we, we can't catch them early enough to say you need to be studying IT and the reasons why. And I think a big gap from what I've seen and, you know, my sister-in-law went and studied IT and then dropped out and said, look, the first semester it was pure coding and learning about networks and infrastructure. So I, I, th- I thought to myself, we need to show these students that it's more business-focused. Technology nowadays is easy to use and adopt Right, I've got customers that say to me all the time, and they're, they're in the business, they're not uh, technical, that they can pick up a visualisation tool and create their own reports you know, in, in 30 minutes. So it's really about how do we understand the business problem. So we started a, a project um, with St Peter's Girls here in South Australia, um, and we've been talking about it for about a year. And Monique Green is a, a teacher at Saints Girls, and she's brilliant, absolutely brilliant in forward thinking and in ways to, to get the girls to think outside of the square. So we devised a, a project whereby there would be a team of four to five, and they would all take on a role within a professional services company. So you think project manager, architect, visualisation specialist, analyst, so on and so forth. 
and they would be given a, a customer uh, to which expose people were, were customers. So we had, we used industries and business problems that were relatable to a student. So things like travel and retail and music, etc. So we came up with a business problem that they were given. They were also given a data, a set of data, and also a subject matter expert from a technical perspective to work with them throughout the life of the engagement. And it was an eight-week special project. They came into the expose offices. We gave them their pitch, and then they asked the CEO of that business a series of questions. From there, they provided project status reports, a requirement specification, and then right at the end of the engagement, they presented a solution to the business problem, and they used a visualisation tool to do that, which was Microsoft Power BI. So, so going yeah. into this, what, what did you expect to get out from a bunch of Look, high school students? I, uh, to be fair, I thought that they would need a lot more help from their subject matter expert to, to, to look at ways to answer the questions and then obviously to create the solution. So they'd probably, um, their answer would sit within the realms of what the subject matter expert proposed to them. Uh, what I got was... 10 times better than that. Really? Wow. Yes. In fact, I think I may have shed a tear <laughs> in, in disbelief and, and because I was incredibly proud that we had two teams. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they thought so far outside the square, it's, it, it's not funny. It was, I would hire them all in, in a heartbeat if I could. But what we got was, you know, have you thought about micro... Um, economic data and bringing that in to influence people's buying patterns and you know what happens if you take this interstate how does it change you know that sort of stuff we never thought they'd come up with and it was almost like they went there straight away because they weren't confined to maybe how sometimes we think as adults right and our experience whereas they were like well you know we'll just try this and we'll try this and we'll try this so the solutions were, were fantastic and it really showed them that they didn't have to worry about the technical side of it because they came up with a great solution to a business problem. Their pre presentations were, were fantastic. Look, we took away some learnings about what we're going to do next year. The biggest win was that one of the young ladies, uh, Rose her name is, she has uh, decided to, to do a career in data and analytics. She's going to come and spend some time with us in the school holidays uh, in January and come and work with us for a week and see what it's, you know, day in the life of a data analytics professional. So what happens between the out-of-the-box thinking from high school to when we hire people? Is, um, this, is there something that's happening in the university space yes. or in the early career space where we're restricting the, the out-of-the-box thinking? Yeah, look, I, I think university has a lot a lot of impact in this space if you start thinking about you know that's probably my next area to to devote some time to now that we've we've sort of got this project up and running <clears throat> and it's repeatable um is that we start looking at the way that the university courses are structured i i went and spoke at a um at a graduate um session at one of the universities a couple of months ago and i asked a couple of the the students i said what do you want to do when you finish university and one of them said, I want to be a developer. And I said, okay, so what kind of development? Oh, I don't know, I just want to develop things. And I said, you know, we need to give you a better understanding of what, like the depth and the breadth of the market. And I said, because you can come and work for me as a developer, but that's completely different to working for 
um, one of our sister companies where you might do, you know, DevOps or mobile app dev, right? Different types of ways of doing things. Um, and it depends what you're passionate about. You know, talking to a lot of them, what became abundantly clear was the, the soft skills and the business focus was not there. It was only apparent and evident for those that had done a double degree. So where they'd done business as well as IT. In fact, one of the young ladies we were speaking to there is, is going to come and join us as a graduate um, and she's doing the business and IT double degree. So you can start to see, I think if they just do core computer science or IT, it's just so technical and logical that they're missing some of that. Okay, well, let's just expand our mind for a, a second. Don't worry about the logic. Let's think about the other things that could impact or affect. So are they missing the why? Is that is that what they're missing? They're missing the, the why to the technology? Yeah. What am I trying to solve here? What's the problem? Yeah. Why am I doing this? Is that, is that yeah, the piece Yeah, and, and how, right? Because they've got half of the how. They've got the technical how, but they don't have the other half of the how, which is um, more important, right? Because it's not something that you can quickly just code and, and get a solution for. It's a what else or how else can I be devising this? Yeah. You mentioned before about... When you have some time, you're going to go and spend some time in the university space. How yes. do you manage the time? I look at, you know, I've known you for a little while now. Yes. You're a very busy person, about to get a lot busier. Yes. How do you manage motherhood, running a business, spending time with high school students? How do you, how do you fit all that in? Um, I have an incredibly amazing support network, both um, within the business, but obviously at, at home. Um, I'm, I'm never, I've never been one to have a lot of sleep and to sort of sit there and it's almost like I've got, you know, ants in my pants. I need to be doing something. And, and you know, if I'm really passionate about something anyway, it's I'm doing it for the right reasons. So how do I balance it? Look, here at Expose, it's really important. Family is incredibly important to us and I say to, to the team all the time that we are a family in our own right but we try and get work-life balance as balanced as possible. I work from home on Mondays. That's really important to me. Um, means I get to spend a bit of extra time with my daughter and then soon with my, my son come March. Um, but then, you know, I've got sort of times where I go, okay, I'm purely focused on this and I'm going to do this task. You know, the extra things like the special project with high schools and talking to universities it doesn't take that much time and what I find is, is that my extended team offer to help. Each one of the, our team members at Expose, when we said we're doing the special project, put their hand up to help, right, because all of us in our own right have got, it, it means something to them. You know, we've got a lot of um, the gents in our team who have got young daughters, right, so it hits home that they want them to have a choice about mm. what they do. So they'll put their hand up. So it's not just me doing it. I can sort of reach out and everyone will be really, really happy to help. You know, I'm fortunate my, my husband is one of the best, well, the best man, but one of the best men <laughs> that I've ever met. Um, you know, he's an amazing father and an amazing support. So if I need to, I travel a lot, he will obviously do what a father is meant to do and uh, take care of the the household and our daughter and if I say I need to work back then it is what it is um, but we always make time as a family so 
you just do it. I don't know. It's really hard. I don't have any. Are you a disciplined person? Um, I've got mild OCD. So I plan a lot and it is structured. Yes. And do you think that helps drive at such a rapid pace? It does, but it can also be detrimental and sometimes confronting because you do plan things out um, and you look at never ever goes to plan, right? Or very, very few times does it go to plan. And so sometimes you're just sort of sitting there going, oh my God, I've gone to all this effort and I've planned it and quick, I've got to think on my feet and, and, and try again, try this path. Um, but you know, as you get older, you learn how to to move quickly on your feet but that's running change a, tact. But that's running a company, isn't it? Yes. Oh, most definitely. Plan, tack this way, tack that way. Especially as a, a startup because mm. you have to, right? You know, we we say, and I, I say it, to, we're, we're completely transparent with the staff. And I said when we first started, those first two months, we almost didn't make it, right, because we were learning. Why did you nearly not make it um, in the first few months? You know, the whole process of we need to find the right people and we, we knew quite a lot of people in the industry then, but we were like, okay, we need to bring on these people in anticipation of all the work we were getting. I think we brought on staff too quickly because we thought if we don't have them, we'll lose them or we won't ever get them. Um, so, yeah, too, too many staff and the work was taking longer to win. So that pipeline was, you know, quite large, but the win... Um, took a little bit longer. We were just, it was fortunate, though, that it was a couple of months where you just go, oh, my gosh, you know, what's, what's happening? And then, fortunately, touch wood, it just, yeah, skyrocketed. I mean, that's classic in anybody who's mm-hmm. running a business. So when do I bring that staff on? And I've just come from a client meeting today where they're the opposite. They win the business, then they bring the staff. Yes. And others do it like you've done it. I'm not sure there's a perfect answer, is there? No, there isn't. Particularly when you're professionally services orientated. Correct. Because if you're not billing staff, you're not making money. Well, if they're on the bench, that's right. They're costing money, not making money. Um, Although it's still important to have the people on the bench. And the reason being is there's a lot of internal, you know, R&D work that needs to be done. Um, We have an amazing blog site so we have news articles and videos and blogs that we create where we test drive processes and products and the latest and greatest. Um, that's incredibly important to our business. It costs us money, obviously, because it doesn't make us money by us doing it. However, um, in the long run, it will make us money, if that makes sense. So I'll just go back to something you said before. Um, Jeff Rorschheim, who's uh, quite well-known in South Australia, he's an entrepreneur like no other. Um, I remember one day he said to me about, you know, startups and, and consulting or professional services firms, he said if it was that easy, everyone would do it. And that we, we say that quite often, you know, certainly amongst these walls in our office, because we're all startups here, that, yeah, if it was that easy, everyone would be doing it. And I remember he told me that in those first two months, it was like, you know, stick, stick, stick at it, kid. It'll be fine. But, uh, yeah, it's exactly right. I go back to it every single time. And if it was that easy, it would be commodity. Yes. And no one really would be making any money. No, that's very true. That is very true. And, you know, culture, we talk about work-life balance, but culture itself um, as a side is important for a startup. 
100%. So how do you define culture? Because I've heard you know, a number of people, and I've had a few podcasts where we've talked a fair bit about culture, but what does culture mean to Expose? Yeah, I think <clears throat> it's the way our values, it's the way that we um, act towards each other and as a whole. Um, so I want our staff to live, eat, breathe, sleep, who we are and our brand and be passionate about it and how do we do that it's really around the fact that we do see each other as a sometimes dysfunctional family but a family nonetheless that's going to be harder to maintain as we grow you know we're at over 20 now um, across Victoria and South Australia and you know how do we keep that family feel where we're completely transparent we're open and honest you know we're very honest with each other sometimes um, but what that then means is I've had customers say you know your staff love working here and it, t- it shows in the quality of their work and how passionate they are about getting the right solution for, for us as a customer. It doesn't really get any better than that does it? It doesn't and it makes me so incredibly happy and proud and the, the team will tell you I, I cry and hashtag everything about when I'm proud about something. <laughs> Um, That's good. <laughs> no, That's a good it, it thing. is. It is. Um, Mother Hen, they call me. But it's so bloody important with any business, but certainly with your, your startups, you have to because it will fail, right? Um, so, yes, that's going to be the challenge in the next uh, 12 months for us is we're going to have rapid growth. How do you keep that culture? How do you not dilute it as Correct. you bring more people in? That's right. Well, that becomes part of your hiring policy, doesn't it? Often we've got position descriptions which talk about skills that we need and you know other things that we need. Where's the culture section on yeah. that position description that you're then matching people up against? Well, that's a great point because we don't have position descriptions. <laughs> no, but we don't. Sorry, just... I, was, I was channeling my inner consulting for a firm. <laughs> no, I actually I had someone say to me the other day, um, yeah, can, can you send me through a position description? And I went, we don't have them. It's about, you know, we, we sit down and, and, look, I'll be honest, we've made some poor recruitment choices in the past and it's um, amazing to see how quickly it impacts the culture so in a they, negative way. So when you talk about it's like a family, did you yeah. hire some weird uncle yeah. into the family? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, look, we're bound to, we're bound to make um, mistakes like that and it's, you know, how quickly we can see that and either – help change it and so that person can stay with us or part ways hopefully quite well so if you were if you were sitting there talking to your you know kelly at the beginning of expose yes what would you tell her hey look out for this watch out for that don't do this don't do that um i tell her first off to take a deep breath and slow down a little bit um because it you know when you think it's busy it's not as busy as what it's going to be yeah, it's, it's really about making sure that I have taken that step back, looked at the bigger picture and not gone, oh, my gosh, I need to meet demand. Let's just bring on whoever we need to really quickly and I need to spend more time building those relationships. You know, something that I've learnt, which is huge for the professional services industry, is that it's okay not to have... Uh, people available immediately to fit our clients' needs. 
um, you build the relationships and there's a great understanding between clients and us to say, I can't give you someone straight away. I can give you someone in two weeks or four weeks and you'll know and you'll trust that that is the right person to fit what you need as opposed to I can give you someone tomorrow and it's a bum on a seat but it's probably not right. Not that I've learnt that the hard way because fortunately we've never put the wrong person in a role because that's really, really important to me. You know, I was on the other side of that for quite a number of years and saw I'd be given people who weren't right for the the job just to get a bum on a seat. Certainly from the beginning, I was a, we need to fulfil this, you know, straight away or else the client's not going to want to work for us or work with us. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So we're sitting here in a very reverberant room in lot 14, which is South Australia's new innovation precinct that's being set up in the old Royal Adelaide Hospital. Are you the first tenant in here? We were the first tenant in here, yes. And it's a, I think it's going to be a pretty exciting space when it's finished, right? And there's a lot of talk about it around town. But what excites you about the future, either here or in your business or in business in general in South Australia? Yeah, look, I, I'll touch on all of those facets. I think for, for us in Lot 14 and the reason we decided to come in here was the fact that, and I hate using this word, but I'm going to use it anyway, is it's an amazing collaboration space. We're meeting new organisations that come in here on a weekly basis um, who are like-minded to what we do. And so if there's room for partnerships or even just sharing ideas and concepts in order to grow South Australia as a tech um, state, then, you know, that's a small win for Lot 14. Um, As a whole from Lot 14... What they offer us and what they will offer us is phenomenal. You think about uh, innovation spaces, the chief um, entrepreneur is here now. They moved in, I think, two weeks ago. Um, So it's really a hub where we can um, get graduates and interns in here to see how South Australia is going to operate in this space going forward. But also it's going to broaden us as an organisation to go, okay, what, what should we be looking at next? I remember when we did the business plan for Expose, and this will talk a bit about how we're going to grow as a business, is that we saw data and analytics as your conventional and your traditional business intelligence. So you think things like data warehouses and standard reporting and, and things like that. And then there was advanced analytics, which is what I call the sexy stuff, so predictive analytics, IoT, big data, you know, really nice visualisations. Tell me what predictive analytics is. Because I I really like the way you describe it on your website and I assume in your other marketing material where you talk about hindsight, insight and foresight. Foresight, yes. So you you talk about traditional and conventional um, business intelligence, which is um, your hindsight, so looking in the rearview mirror. It's using data that you've already got, like historical data, and looking for patterns in it. Predictive analytics, which is foresight, means that you take your historical data and you create, create algorithms that will help you predict what may happen in the future based on your historical data. So if you think about if we've got students in higher education, we can predict the likelihood of a student dropping out and at what point in their course or their lifetime at university, for example, will they drop out? 
And we get that data from the historical data, from external data, and from an algorithm that can predict how they're going to the go. So I assume that's not just data about that student, no. but a collective of students with, yes. you know, over a long period of time. That's exactly and right. And you're looking at patterns in there and then helping predict for that student yes. their, their potential we may have we, we, we won't have any, we may not have any data about that student, right, because they're at the beginning of, they've just enrolled, um, but we can see characteristics of them that are in previous students. And so, and it might be external factors as well. So where they live, at what time they enrolled. A lot of people enroll in January because they've decided a New Year's resolution, they're going to study something. And then they have a, dependent on a demographic, they'll drop out. Also patterns in what courses and subjects they're taking will dictate how they're going. So without, without firms like Exposé, yes. what are organisations doing? They have internal data scientists. Some do. Others just don't know. Most would have no idea. The whole thing, that I don't know what I don't know. I don't know how many times I get told that um, in a week by, by customers and potential customers. And that's the whole thing is, you know, the rate in which we're gathering, collecting and storing data is phenomenal, right? It, it's going to, it's blowing our mind, especially social media now. And it's surpassed what we ever thought it was going to. So now you've got these businesses that are going, okay, we've got all this data alone that just sits here with us, but we know that we can take external data as well. And all of a sudden we've got all this really rich and powerful stuff. We just don't know what to do with it. So that's where things like your predictive analytics come in because we can start seeing into the future with some high levels of accuracy as opposed to in the past where it's a, okay, well, let's look at the data that we've got we can kind of see if we can find some patterns and then maybe make some decisions and then see what may happen and then we'll get That's a whole right. bunch of historical data later on in a year's time see whether Very, it was a pass or a fail which i understand is how businesses have often traditionally run but in a rate of such rapid change inside a business it's just that's just yesterday correct it's exactly right and you know in the past it's been very expensive for organizations to look at predictive Nowadays, it's incredibly cost-effective. Particularly, particularly when you're weighing it up against the, the benefit, yes. the outcomes, the change that you can make and the impact that it can have on your business. Yeah. If you're looking at a, where do we put a branch or where do we put our next McDonald's or where do we put our you know, next retail outlet, for example, that can be the difference between huge losses or massive revenue gains. And, and once upon a time, yeah, firms would have just gone, you know what, there's a shopping centre, let's put a yes. store there. It's closer to gut feel than it is yeah. to logic, yeah. yes. Yeah, very cool. I think we got a bit off topic there. You were talking about what yes. excites you about so the I was future. talking about our business plan. So advanced analytics, all the sexy stuff, um, and then we look at the strategic work. So your data governance, your roadmaps, your data strategies, things like that. And we'd said, um, because we're obviously proudly... Um, headquartered in South Australia, we'd said in the first 12 months of being in operation, we'd like to switch the thought and what the customers were doing in the market from being heavily conventional, traditional BI, so your hindsight, to to start thinking and, and switching that work so it's more advanced analytics, so your insight and foresight. And we were so impressed and proud of our customers in the market that within the, th the first three months, three to six months, we had switched it. So the majority of our work was in advanced analytics, 
right? So that means what that's telling us is that our customers are going, no, we need to really start looking into the future and having insights instead of just going, okay, we're going to report on old, you know, historical data and see how we're going. And I imagine that at the completion of a first project with you, a customer would go, oh, wow, what can I do next? What else could I do? What else could I find out? What else could I do to change my business? Yes, it does. It creates that level of excitement, especially when you – so now you can and tailor things for different audiences. So you start seeing, you know, what senior the senior leadership team see is there's more quick KPI widgets, right, or alerts on their phone. And then the next level down, they want to dive into the data. So when you start seeing that you start saying to a senior manager – oh, you don't need to look at a report anymore, your phone will alert you if you need to action something. So all of a sudden you go from being reactive to proactive. Like that in itself creates so much excitement within a business of going, what else can we do or what else can we delve into? And the interesting thing there is the time that you spend looking at a report that's actually not going to give you any insight, you now no longer need to do. You can go off and actually create some value inside your business. That's exactly right. It's, you know... You've got a lot more productive hours that can be spent on something else. You know, I, I was a database administrator when I first started uh, my life in IT, and I remember you would get the old requests come through saying, I'd want this report and I want these columns in it and I want it to show this, 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 this and this. And, you know, you'd be very busy and a week later, two weeks later, you'd deliver the report and they'd go, oh, hang on, no, now... It's changed. I want to do this, 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 and this. It's amazing to see how much it's evolved that now we talk to customers about self-service. So we say, okay, here is a visualisation tool. You can go and create your own reports and you can move things around and you can deep dive into data. You don't need to necessarily have IT come and help you. That is empowering the user, right? That's, that's a huge thing for a business to be able to do. It doesn't matter the size of the business, it just matters on what data you have and making sure that you put your data and model it in the right way, that it's business in business terms as opposed to just being technical. So, see, I get really passionate and excited about it. <laughs> what people can't see is the hand waving, I know. right? The, uh, the big smile on your face, the excitement, <laughs> the excitement in your eyes. If only this was video. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm glad it's not. So what's next for Exposé? Yeah, so uh, what's next for us is we're always looking for the next project um, and next set of services that we can look into. You know, things like cognitive intelligence is really important. Databricks is the new black. Um, So can you explain those to people who don't know what they mean? Yeah, so cognitive intelligence is really about understanding and analysing the soft um, skills um, and concepts around a person, so facial recognition, speech, driving emotion from that, and then using that to offer some sort of insight. And then uh, Databricks, I'm not even going to begin to explain because it's huge, um, but it's a different way of solving and um, creating solutions for customers. So it's a little bit of data science, it's a little bit of data engineering, um, but it gives the customer a complete solution that's really scalable and adaptive. So that's if we start talking about products and solutions, that's sort of the the newer things that we're looking into. As a whole, as a business, um, we 
will grow in Adelaide, will continue to grow in Adelaide, but we're also growing in other states. So Victoria, we've opened our office there. We'll look at growing that in the next 12 months quite fiercely. Is that a planned strategy to grow or is that based on customer need? It was uh, planned to grow. We actually opened... Um, Expose Vic six months earlier than intended and that was because of the demand. We've got some brilliant customers here in South Australia who have spoken to their counterparts in Victoria and that's how we got work. Um, so we're you know forever grateful and humbled by that. But what we were doing was sending our team from here over there and we had so much work on here. So that really meant, okay, we, we need to, to really head down, bum up and create that office in Vic. So we have and, and we're growing that. Um, and then once that's solid, healthy, growing well, then, you know, might have to look at another state. Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully I'll have my second child by then and, you know, I'll have a bit more time on my hands. <laughs> to fly to she another says, state. Yeah, she's, uh, yeah. Maybe it's my baby brain. I'm not thinking straight. But, you know, that, it kind of does make sense to me. <laughs> Well, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing your insights into the industry that is data, which is pretty exciting. It is, see? Pretty exciting. Um, You thought it was boring before you started? No, I said the pure data piece is boring. The insights that it brings and the outcomes that it It brings to client, that's the super exciting part. And the ability then for customers to use that data just to transform their business, that's the cool part. Excellent. Do Mm. you want a job? Uh, (laughs) Let's see how this one goes. Thank you. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks. That was such a fascinating interview. If that doesn't excite you or maybe even make you a little scared, then you might want to check your pulse. Fascinating times ahead, not just as business leaders, but for you as a consumer as well. Want to find out more about this episode or how to connect with Kelly or Expose Data? Then head over to our website, www.theselfmadetheory.com. I've got some pretty big names coming up in our next few episodes, so don't miss out. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app. My favorite's Pocket Casts, a homegrown Australian Australian app that just about does it better than anybody else. Until next time, keep innovating, overcoming and prospering.